to a new episode of Talk That Science. We play the nicest tunes while talking about the coolest research. Lately, uh, Amsterdam has started to use uh, participatory budgeting more and more. So uh, I think they call it buurt budget here. So it means that uh, yeah, there's a neighborhood and a certain amount of budget. And instead of uh, the municipality, so the gemeente, uh, actually the citizens living in a neighborhood can propose a new idea. Uh, and then uh, people can vote whether it's realized. So for example, maybe they want more trees. Um, in the park or they want more um, uh, benches to sit on. So uh, yeah, this is an example of uh, uh, democratic decision making, uh, which is the topic of today. Actually, we're gonna look how computer science can advance democratic decision making. Uh, and we're gonna do this with Ulla Andries. He's a professor of computational social choice at the University of Amsterdam. Uh, Ulla, welcome. Hello, Nicolene. Thanks for having me. Yes. So you just told me ac that you're living uh, actually in Amsterdam Zuid, where, and this is one of the places where the participatory budgeting takes place. So uh, did you see some nice projects that you hope uh, will improve your neighborhood? So yes, that's right. So at the moment they are in the middle of uh, doing this in a few neighborhoods in Zuid, uh, including in the pipe where I live. Um, there's a huge number of projects uh, from very interesting to a bit weird to very specialized uh, and so on. So uh, some people want to um, replace the Albert Kalbstraat, the market with some kind of park. I saw that one. Maybe sounds maybe nice, but I also a bit, um, I'm sure a lot of people will not be too happy with that. Um, then I saw uh, things like um, some people would like the, these, they have these horrible uh, little vehicles made fully of metal to transport the market stands. They oh, make yes. an enormous amount of noise. So I yes. imagine the people who live there really don't like it. So they would like to buy some um, rubber uh, mm -hmm. wheels for these things. So they yeah. like highly specialized things like this. So it's interesting. It's nice yeah. that... Um, people have the chance to come up with these ideas. Yeah, I think uh, it's nice to see that uh, citizens can come up with really creative ideas other than maybe just the people uh, in the gemeente. So I saw one example also there. It was to make a, a 3D a rainbow crossing roads. <laughs> and then the idea would be that uh, the traffic would slow down because it looks like there's something on the road. And also, I don't know, it has nice color, so maybe it makes people more friendly. I don't know, but it looks really funny. I'm curious whether uh, whether it will be uh, will be done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, yeah, this uh, buurt budget or the participatory budgeting is one of the things that uh, your research field is uh, studying, right? That's right. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. Can you say something about how does this go? The the voting. Yeah. So the basic idea is that uh, indeed the municipality sets aside a certain amount of money. So this will, in Amsterdam, I think this is typically a few hundred thousand euros. And uh, 
then in a first uh, round, uh, citizens are invited to make proposals and then they, you know, maybe write a page of text uh, and say, we think this will cost 5,000 euros and this will be the benefits and a little description. Uh, these are collected, they're put on the website and then there are different ways how this can be done exactly. So in Zaud at the moment, um, you can like and dislike these proposals and I think they will, every proposal that gets at least 50 likes and never mind how many dislikes goes into the next, goes into consideration for a next round and then somebody at the municipality checks whether this would be feasible, mm -hmm. you know, if it's very popular but illegal then maybe they're not going to put it to the vote. Yes, or maybe the example you mentioned before to make of the market a park, it sounds yeah, nice, but maybe a bit undoable. Like the whole street has to be. Yeah, I think this particular different. proposal is that they want to do it in steps. So yeah. I, I don't, maybe uh, each step is feasible. I don't know, yeah. but indeed, uh, th some experts should, yeah. or at least for some projects, you maybe need some expert opinion yeah. also to check whether the price uh, is realistic mm -hmm. and these kind of things. Yeah. And then, um, so after that, the set of projects becomes smaller you know, some get kicked out and then you're left with a few dozen projects typically mm -hmm. I imagine and then everybody who lives in that neighborhood and interestingly uh, typically uh, including teenagers maybe from the age of 12 or something like this is yeah. often the the voting age there can vote for these projects and then based on these votes um, the municipality then funds some of them and so my own research uh, field is mostly concerned with this last stage, with yes. the actual voting. So suppose we have the, the projects mm -hmm. that are in principle feasible and at least some people find them interesting. How do you decide which ones to fund? You don't have enough money to pay for all of them. And um, what happens in most places, and this is also the case in Amsterdam, is that um, you ask people uh, for each of these projects do you approve of it or do you not approve of it? So it's just a yes-no vote that okay. you can give on each project. So you just say, I like it or I don't like yeah. it. And you're not, uh, so you're not forced to pick hmm. a single most popular one. You're also not forced to um, rank them or, or do something complicated. So the yeah. idea is to make the voting as simple as possible. And you just say, yeah, I think these are the good ones and, mm -hmm. and these I find less interesting. Yeah. And then, um, interestingly, when you look, for example, at the description on the various websites at the municipality, that's kind of where the explanation usually stops. So they actually, then they say, you say which ones you like, and then the ones that are the most popular, they get elected. Yes. And that's only where we start thinking about it. There are actually a so hundred different mm -hmm. ways how you could do that. Yeah, so that's where your kind, your part of research comes in. So you have the opinions of the citizens. They say, ah, oh, I like this, and I like this, I don't like this. And then there are many options how you can eventually choose the projects. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So, and many people would be familiar with this in slightly different contexts. So if you have, uh, for example, a presidential election, yes. so in countries where you directly vote for a president, in every country they do it slightly differently and so two examples that um, many people will have heard of is in the United States mm -hmm. they have these electoral colleges 
uh, and in France it's also a system that many people are familiar with you have these two stages first they vote yes then the two front runners two weeks later you can vote for them again okay so okay you vote and then two people win two people or, have the yeah. most points yes and then you vote again and then you vote just between those two yes And so, so this is maybe a little bit like football, where you have uh, also several rounds until like two are over. Okay. Yes. And in the U.S., how? And what's in the U.S., the you uh, don't have two rounds. You have mm -hmm. one round, but you don't vote directly for the president. You vote for representatives in your own state, mm -hmm. and then each state has a slightly different rule how they do it exactly. And then basically, at the end of the day, the state's representatives vote for the president and they are supposed to do it in a way that represents yeah. the preferences of their own citizens. And this is always in the news. So everybody has heard about yeah. this problem like Hillary Clinton got more votes, but Donald Trump got elected. Yeah. Or um, I don't know. When was that? Yeah, because this can happen. Is this because um, so a district gets a representative, but then not all districts maybe have... Uh, an even amount of inhabitants. So it is for this reason that, for example, Hillary Clinton could get more votes in total, but still because not every district is um, kind of has, a, yeah, how can you say it, uh, uh, enough. Uh, so the number of representatives is not exactly proportional yeah, to yeah. the number of inhabitants. Yeah, yeah. And there are When they when they decided to set it up like this was not a crazy idea. So mm -hmm. the idea was that the less populated rural states, they should not be totally ignored. So maybe they should have slightly more yeah. relative power. Ah, But so nowadays, yeah. most onlookers would say it's, it's led to a situation that doesn't really represent uh, people's opinions very well anymore but it's very very difficult to be very precise about what it should be instead yes and so it's not that anyone has a totally clear-cut proposal this is the best way of doing it basically does not exist but we are trying to understand you know in a more subtle manner what is good about this what is bad about this so I just mentioned it as an example that mm -hmm. to, for people yeah to be able to relate to the fact that um, You know, voting for a president, if you don't think about it, there's just one way. But if you do think about it, and if you think about examples around the world, there are a lot of different ways.
Yeah, that's actually interesting because I think the focus often is, oh, we have democracy or we have something else, maybe dictatorship. And then, yeah, people here in the West, a lot of people like democracies or they are happy like, oh, we have democracy. But then actually there are still very many kinds in which you can run a democracy, actually. Yes. And do you have uh, opinions or maybe not opinions, but research on yeah, what might be a better form of democracy than another? Or is it hard to say? Does it depend on the country as well? I do think it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. I, I do think it depends uh, a lot on the local circumstances. And so my own research you know, as a computer scientist or you know, a lot of what I do sounds a bit like mathematics to outsiders and it kind of is. So we are looking at one aspect of this and I think you always have to um, also look at the political science aspect and the philosophical aspect, maybe at the economic aspect, cultural aspect. So we can just provide one of these aspects and what we are trying to do is we're trying to kind of have precise accounts of what it means to be fair for example and then uh, and then we can let you know, other people and ultimately it should be the people who live in the country should have an opinion about what kind of fairness is important to them but what we can provide is uh, an analysis of um, you know okay, if you want to have this kind of fairness and you also want to have this other kind of property, maybe that's not possible, or maybe it is possible in theory, but it would be so complicated that it doesn't really make sense to do that in practice, uh, and things like this. So um, it's more that we, um, we can help people analyze what they want to make them think about, do they really want this, um, in what form exactly. Yes, okay, so um, yeah, different kind of ways to vote have different properties and with the computational social choice you make clear what properties the already existing uh, voting systems have and also does it also work the other way around like can we say uh, oh I want this property so maybe uh, yeah, you said fairness I want that it's fair and I also want that um, uh, what else could you want <laughs> There are many things that you yeah. could want. So, first of all, there are different types of fairness that yes. you could ask yeah. for. Uh, you may want to, um, uh, you know, one one famous problem that many people will be familiar with is tactical voting, strategic mm -hmm. voting. So, yes. very simple example: you have three candidates. Two of them are quite popular. Mm -hmm. One of them is a minority party candidate, but that's your favorite candidate. Are you going to vote for this minority party candidate and basically waste your vote? Or are you going to vote for the one of the two big parties that you like a little bit more? Yes. And that's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, for example, this problem uh, is, is a large part a contributor to the fact that in the United States we have basically only two parties that have a chance of winning when there is a third party candidate, something like a green type of party, people will not really want to vote for that person because they're worried that then the Republican will win instead of the Democrat. And this has happened yeah. in the past. And uh, that's why we have this ingrained two-party uh, structure. Yeah. Okay. And so, for example, suppose I want a voting rule where then this is not possible. And also I want a voting rule that is fair. Could you then design 
yeah, a way to that that can do this? To a certain extent, yes. So, for example, uh, in some countries, uh, like in Australia, for example, you can rank the candidates. So, what you could do is you could could put this minority party candidate you really like. You could put that person at the top of your ranking, and then. You know, the Hillary Clinton or a Joe Biden type of person in number two, mm-hmm. you know, good enough, uh, better than total disaster, but maybe not what I really want. And then, you know, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton will win the election, uh, but your minority candidate will at least get a positive signal and accumulate a certain number of votes and maybe four years down the line they have a better chance yeah. of actually being elected. But um, the interesting thing is that we can't um, avoid this this tactical voting entirely. So it's not possible to design a a voting rule that would always um, avoid this kind of uh, problem unless we go to very, very extreme choices. So for example, there's one great voting rule. Uh, Everybody votes, everybody ranks their Mm -hmm. uh, candidates in order of preference, and then my first ranked uh, candidate wins the election. So So that's it's that voting rule nobody can manipulate, nobody can be tactical about it. Yeah, so it doesn't matter what everyone else has voted. But it is a dictatorship by me, which some people will appreciate but maybe most people not so yeah uh, <laughs> i guess not okay yeah and you to what extent can you call that voting or maybe yeah maybe it's voting but it's at least not a dem- democracy exactly yeah. yes then yeah if we can just as well not ask all the other people uh, anymore for their preferences yes. okay and and why is that To really explain that would, I think, uh, go a little bit beyond what we can do here. Mm -hmm. Also because the the blackboard doesn't show uh, in the podcast, unfortunately. (laughs) But um, so it's a it's a mathematical theorem. It's a it's a somewhat complicated thing uh, that you that you need to show. But if you yeah, if you basically the idea has to do with the fact if you really think about what does it mean. Nobody, no voter should ever have an incentive to misrepresent what they really want. Mm-hmm. As, for example, like you are lying about, you pretend that you don't really like this minority uh, party candidate, but you like Joe Biden instead. So uh, there are so many possible scenarios where you could be in a position where you would be slightly better off yeah. if you lie a little bit about your preferences. That basically the, the proof of this result boils down to understanding that what whatever happens you know that there could always be a situation where one of the voters is forced to to lie in this way and if we want to exclude that we have to exclude certain voting rules that previously seemed attractive and at the end of the day we're only left with one of them and it's this really bad one the dictatorship yeah and these kinds of things you you discover in winning computational social choice um, right so this particular yeah. result is yeah. um, so computational social choice is is a combination of something called social choice theory mm-hmm. and computer science so that's my own main field yeah. social choice theory itself is an older field has been a proper scientific uh, topic since the 1950s and this particular result that i now just mentioned yeah. is something from the 1970s so that was definitely uh, before me and definitely before people thought about these things in computational terms yes but um Thinking about it in computational terms as a computer scientist kind of gives an additional 
uh, edge to it to better understand uh, what's going on and to, for example, if you also if you have a rule that you think is maybe quite nice to, from a theoretical point of view, to understand what you can whether you can actually use it in practice, that's sometimes where computer science can provide some additional insights. Yeah, because how does that go about? Is that uh, yeah? Can you explain that? In what sense can computer science help with thinking about this? Yeah. So uh, the analogy that I like to make is that um, you can think of a voting rule as an algorithm. So in general, an algorithm is a concept that's as old as computer science mm -hmm. and uh, you know, usually when you um, learn about this uh, first at university you get some kind of explanation an algorithm is kind of a, a sequence of steps that you have to execute to do a calculation to solve a problem so everybody 
learns their first algorithm without knowing about it mm -hmm. somewhere in primary school when you learn how to add up numbers on a piece of paper. Yes. You do this in steps. You first uh, take the final digit, you add them up. If it goes beyond 10, you carry over the one and put that uh, in together with the next digit. Uh, so, so, you so counting, you mean? Just adding, so adding, taking the sum of two numbers. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, like... Yeah. 178 and 253. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't do it in my head, <laughs> but with a piece of paper, I would be able to okay, do it yeah. because they taught me uh, oh, when in you primary put it school. Below each other. You put them below yeah. each other and you kind of, yeah, so you, you get this, this, technique. this complex task of adding two long numbers. Yes. Gets cut down into yeah. simple steps. And so that's basically, you teach these kids the algorithm for executing this. Ah, okay, yeah. And uh, the more common notion of algorithm would be that not the kid executes the steps, but the computer executes yes. steps. And I like to think of voting rules as another example of, a vote of, of an algorithm. It's a, it's a complex task. We want to figure out who is the president given the votes. We want to decide which projects to fund given the preferences of the citizens. How do I step by step yeah. choose how to do that? Yeah. And so that's what I said earlier on the website of the municipality of Amsterdam. They just say, and then we check which one's the best one and those we give the money to. Yeah. And of course, when they actually do it, somebody will have to do sit down and do some calculations. And so the way that they do it is the following. They, um, they write down for every project How, how many people said that they like it? Mm -hmm. And then they go, okay, which is the most popular project? Which one got the most votes? If it's cheap enough that we can afford it, we accept it. Then we subtract this amount of money that we have spent on this project from our overall budget from the 400,000 euros mm -hmm. that we have. We have some money left. Then we look at the which one is the next most popular project, which one got the next largest number of votes. If it still fits in the budget, we pay for it, we reduce our budget, we go on to the next one. And so we keep going down. At some point we reach a project, maybe number 10, that's still quite popular, but it would be too expensive. So we jump over it, we go to the next one. That one hopefully is cheap enough and then we fund it. So this is sometimes called the greedy approval algorithm. And this is what is used, uh, at least in the, in the cases in Amsterdam where I've been able to check. I'm not sure whether they do it exactly in the mm -hmm. same way everywhere. So basically it means that the the most popular projects are accepted um, if they still fit the budget. Exactly. And yes. if not, then it's the, the project that is uh, next popular. Yes. And this sounds like a pretty reasonable uh, way of doing it. I think it is a reasonable way of mm -hmm. doing it. It's Most people, when you ask them, would say, oh, this, this sounds fair. Yeah. And is there already a specific uh, yeah, voting rule that, that could do this? There are some ideas. Mm -hmm. So I can try to explain uh, one such idea to you. Mm -hmm. I, um, it's, I'm, I'm, I will not explain it in kind of the formal mathematical way how ultimately you have yeah. to think about this. I'll try to give you a bit of a story. So course you can't do it really like this but imagine it's like this so there are the 10,000 people who live in this neighborhood they're entitled to vote each of them will let them stand in front of a tap a water tap but out of this 
top comes not water but pure gold. And they all stand with a little bucket in front of their top and the gold is dripping in. And then they wait and they look at it and you know there maybe there, there's a there's a scale underneath so you can weigh it so you can at every point in time you can tell they have currently collected gold up to this many euros yeah and then they all look at each other all the time and whenever there's a situation where a group of them have together collected enough gold to pay for one project that they all like yeah then one of them says stop they give their gold that they've collected to the mayor yeah she takes it she pays for that project so then they now have an empty bucket yeah the other people still have some gold in their bucket yeah then we switch off all the taps again and and the gold is dripping in again and then the next time they kind of look at each other uh -huh. the next time there's a subgroup that has collected together enough gold maybe some of these people who and gotten, they can save the gold that they already had in the exactly, people that have yeah. been so the people yet. who okay. didn't get yeah. the first project yeah. they have more gold ah so they yeah, the, their, yeah so they are they are more likely to be part of yeah. the next group that yes. gets something yes. but if they happen to have the same preferences as one of the people who just gave their gold away then this person can also help them with just a little yeah. bit of gold so and without going deep into the analysis you can kind of see that it gives an advantage in the second for the second project the people who didn't get didn't like the first project they have more gold yeah. already you're more likely that we're going to do something for them yeah. we are not it's not certain that we will do that right if like 51% of the people funded the first project and then they also really all love the second project maybe the second project will be funded for the next group as well, for this group as well but this The, the other small group they will keep on accumulating gold and at some point even if it's just a few of them they will have more than this large group and then one of their projects will get paid for and so then intuitively I think you can see that uh, it would be fairer in that sense yes and is this method already used somewhere you think for I'm budget? not aware of, no. of it being used in, in practice so there, there has been some research on this and I've now explained in a hand-waving way there are different variants how one could do it exactly and the jury is still out you know which one exactly is maybe the right one of course also it would be difficult to install 10,000 tabs with pure gold coming out of them so yeah. you know we have to do it slightly differently yeah, but, yeah. Um, but people are working on, this, on these ideas and yes. I think it would be great Uh, if some municipalities would sometimes try yeah. and that's also I think for me one of the attractive things about this as a researcher so I do not believe that in my lifetime uh, the way that the parliament in the Netherlands or the US president are going to be elected will change in very significant ways even if there has been strong signs before I was born that it's not great how they're doing it Um, And why do you think it's, it's like that? Because the stakes are so enormous. Mm -hmm. It is partly because the people who determine the rules have been elected by the current rules, so they are less likely to want to change it. This is kind of the slightly pessimistic way of saying it. Mm -hmm. There's some aspect to so this that example, is true. So if yeah. you are uh, a Republican president and um, uh, this... Uh, being able to be elected with this less with the less populated states in the middle of the country worked well for you why should you change that rule it's understandable that they don't want to do that 
but I think to me this is just one aspect. There are also some positive reasons why we should not rush into changing these things. So even if these rules are not perfect, people have grown up with them, they intuitively understand them. So they also intuitively understand at least some of their shortcomings and they can react in their way that they're voting accordingly.
Yeah, so we talked about uh, computer science earlier. Um, what exactly is the role of computer science for uh, for this making these rules? Yeah, very good question. So indeed, I mean, I, I I'm a computer scientist. I work on computational social choice. But when people ask me, I always just talk about American elections and so on. And it's not easy to see where does the computer science go. So um, let me first tell you maybe where in my research the computer science does not go. So it's not about um, electronic voting or using computers to cast your vote or anything like this. Um, that's also an interesting topic and a difficult topic to get right, but that, that's not my area. So uh, my area is really more the, the interface of voting with theoretical computer science. And so I can mention three things that maybe are understandable to people um, where there's a connection. So the first one is I had given you this analogy between an algorithm to add up some numbers or do something more complicated and a voting rule. So some voting rules are complicated. The one where the money was coming out of the, out of the tap That was a nice story, but it was very unclear from my explanation how would you actually do that. And uh, so translating that nice visual idea into a sequence of steps, of calculations, how you actually do it, and ultimately into a computer program that does the calculations for you, that's a very typical task for computer scientists. You, you design an algorithm you, that solves a problem, uh, that would be too complicated, maybe not impossibly complicated, but quite complicated for a person to do herself. So that's one aspect. Um, another aspect is that uh, in computer science, um, a very important uh, subfield is to uh, deal with the correctness of algorithms. So if you have the software that uh, flies your plane or drives your cars nowadays uh, you want to be really sure that this software does what it's supposed to do so there are theoretical computer scientists who analyze these algorithms and uh, not just try it many times to see whether there's a mistake but they want to have a mathematical proof that that kind of problem can never occur and so this attitude of using mathematical tools to understand whether an algorithm will behave as it's supposed to, this attitude we can also apply to voting rules. So we have this description of a voting rule. It's a bit difficult to understand what would it do in every possible conceivable scenario. And to have a systematic way of analyzing that and say, I can give you a guarantee that that kind of problem, for example, that somebody who didn't get the most votes becomes president of the United States, that that can never happen. So the voting rule used in the United States would fail this test. But another rule where I claim it doesn't have this bad property, you want to be sure that I'm, that I'm right. Uh, I could be lying to you. I could not understand it properly myself. So you want to be sure. And so in computer science, we have methodologies to do that kind of thing. Yes. Okay, so basically, to uh, simplify it a lot, the idea is that yeah, the, these voting rules or the properties you wanted to satisfy can be very difficult. Uh, and then 
computer science is like a tool that can make things easier for you. You can, yeah, yes. can it can do the steps or uh, it can very it can help you check whether this complicated looking animal in this case a voting rule really will behave as you want it to behave in a certain respect so this is one thing and then the last example uh, that that's maybe the most um, futuristic uh, idea which we have started to use is that we use um, computer science to help us um, uh, for example uh, to help us to design a new voting rule so we have um, we, we, we may be able to uh, say what are the properties that we would like but we don't have a good idea of a rule for actually doing that and so one of the things that we are working on is uh, helping us generate the rules we give it the properties and it should spit out at the end of the day the rule that does the job and this is not working perfectly yet we're just at the start so at the moment mostly what we are able to do automatically to a certain extent is um, either we have a rule and we check whether it has this property that's relatively easy or we are also able to uh, what we are able to already is to say we have this property and the computer tells us sorry it's mathematically impossible to find a rule not just this computer can't do it but no computer will ever do it that's useful that's bad news but it's useful mm -hmm. to know because you know you can stop looking in this direction and what we're trying to do is we're trying to refine that further to actually help us with the design of good uh, yes ah, interesting and suppose it's going to happen that you can uh, kind of uh, enter some properties you want and it spits out the rule um, how do you see that it will be used in the future do you think or do you hope that it is something that um, is generally used maybe in companies even because yeah decisions have to be made everywhere that maybe the the, the people that lead the company are in a in a meeting and say okay we have to vote um, how are we going going to do this is this something you you hope is going to happen yes so indeed so what i do not expect or also hope that some magic AI system will spit out the new voting rule that we should use for our national elections. I think that's a too big a task and also one where if a computer can help you to come up with ideas, great, but ultimately it should be brought down to a level where maybe not everyone, but many people really understand what's going on, so it has to be very simple. But indeed the scenario that you are mentioning, which are much lower stake, is like okay, tomorrow we have a meeting, between the five of us, we have to take this decision. Uh, what should be the rule that we use to vote in case we can't come to an agreement, given the very specific requirements for this one decision? So I'm not asking for the perfect rule that does everything. I'm asking for a good enough rule for this specific, these specific circumstances. And I cannot afford, time-wise or money-wise, to hire a bunch of academics who think about this for a few months and come up with this rule. I need it tomorrow and then I don't need it anymore. So for that kind of stuff, I am hopeful that we will eventually be able to provide people some tools that they can use and they you know they maybe have a rough idea how they want to do it and they just want to have, use the computer to help them to check whether it's okay. 
and then it's good enough for this one decision and tomorrow they may be going to use something else. Yes, and, and why do you think that would be nice? In what way is it going to help them? Why is the system right now where they always vote in the same way, maybe a most votes count, I think that's maybe most often used. Why is that not uh, good enough? Yeah, I think in practice that's not really oh, okay. how it's done. So, I mean, I don't work in a company, I work at the university, but there I'm the guy who knows a little bit about voting. So it happens very often that a colleague working in a different field asks me, okay, tomorrow I'm going to be in this meeting, we have uh, three job applicants and we cannot agree, but you know about voting, how should we do it? And then it's difficult because I know there's no perfect way of doing it in all cases, so I can maybe have an opinion for their specific scenarios. Okay, they have exactly three job candidates, not four, so maybe they have you know five committee members, not seven. Uh, they have uh, certain ideas about what's important, what's not important. So if I think about it for a long time, I can help them a little bit. But most of the time, they, you know, they will either do some atoxing or some slightly better thing that I can suggest, but which will also not be perfect because I will not have enough time to think about it. And um, and then if one of them goes into a meeting and said, you know, Ule, he's a professor so he should know he told us we should use this voting rule then everybody else will immediately think okay i'm trying they're trying to cheat me here they're coming up with bad thing with bad stuff so if just if somebody comes in the room says today we're going to use yeah. this rule because my friend told me so uh-huh. this is not going to fly so no. but if you have this this computer system that that you are using every week for something so you maybe trust this system and you uh, and you know it's not biased and helps one person only but it's just it just can say yes this is true no this is not true you know this works like this this does not work like this it can help you and even if it's not going to propose to you the perfect way of doing things it might stimulate you to think about these things a bit more Mm -hmm. even that is already a great thing if it just makes people reflect a little bit about why are we using this rule today is it really appropriate for what we're going to do and it presents you maybe some options what you could do instead and then you take your own decision what you want to use. Did uh, did your research uh, in this field change the way you look at maybe politics or decision making more generally yourself? Um, Yes, I would say so. I mean, of course, uh, whenever there's some interesting thing going on in the news about politics of course I wonder okay can I use this as an example for my research so Trump Mm -hmm. and Brexit have been a godsend in that respect maybe only in that respect Um, uh, so that's one aspect but I think at the more personal level so I do do find it um, enriching to have this um, understanding that there is not one way of being fair there are many ways many aspects that you could care about and it's not that we're ever going to find the perfect way of doing things and i think it's more about in the search for something that's approximating perfection to think about why are we doing it like this what do we really like about this uh, questioning assumptions that we had earlier on these kind of things
some of the basic things or this stuff that we talked about before that there is no voting rule where you make that makes it impossible to lie yeah but that would not be a dictatorship this and similar results i now know and uh, certainly believe that um these are one of some of the major scientific findings in the social sciences at least of the 20th century and i had never heard about them through school through university no, no. I, mean, i didn't study that kind of stuff i studied mm -hmm. computer science mm -hmm. so i do think it would be nice if more people knew about this a little bit you don't have to understand all the mathematics but if you understand it's out there it can make you think about important questions like democracy yes well thanks a lot i think that's a really good message to take home that we should um should remember those those things um, and then I have a final question. So we always uh, ask our uh, speakers to um, end the podcast with a song. Um, which song did you choose? Yes, so it's very good that you warned me about this. But it's not the kind of thing that I would no. have a, an answer off no, the no, top no. of my head. But <laughs> I had time to think about it. Uh -huh. So I wanted to have something that is about voting. So I don't know many songs about voting. <laughs> but um, there is one. Uh -huh. um, I think it is not by uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, but by some subset of them, because they separated in the 80s. Mm -hmm. I don't know all the history, but there is a song. Uh, it's called Jesse, about Jesse Jackson, who's still important person in American politics. And it has this line in the chorus, um, get out and vote. Get out I and think vote. I think is what we all should do. Yes. Well, good. Thanks a lot. Um, Lots of stuff to uh, think about. <laughs> thank you very much. It was very nice. And uh, thank you.
might as well be the home of the slaves. They got me walking around singing freedoms come, but my body is free and my mind is dumb. The people ain't black, but the house is white. And just because I'm different, they don't treat me right. They don't cast me aside, held me down, drag my name down to the ground. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies and your amber waves of untold lies. Look at all the politicians trying to do a job, but they can't help but look like the mob. Just talking trash. 